Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes. It's been a year since the Taliban took power in Afghanistan. On this episode of the Ideas Factory, we will look at what has changed for the Afghanistan people, for good or for bad, or for or for worse. Especially the lives of the Afghan women, the Afghan girls, more restrictions they face in their everyday lives. We will look at all that and what it means to uh, Afghanistan's neighbors and what can we do there. We will also look at other neighbors like, like Sri Lanka, the crisis there, the China-Taiwan uh, tension that is still on. And um, of course, Foreign Minister Jay Shankar is on a three-nation uh, trip to Latin American countries. What does it mean for India? What are the possibilities there? All that on this episode of the Ideas Factory. And Nagma joining me is, is Professor Harsh Pant. Welcome to this episode. We start with one year of the Taliban rule in Afghanistan. It was 15th of August last year, Harsh, that the Taliban took over. Uh, there has been no recognition, formal recognition of Taliban, but uh, nobody really had uh, much hope there. But when we look at Afghanistan now, what is the situation that you see? The girls are not going to school. The women face more restriction. There is poverty. There is, again, the same kind of chaos that the Afghan people have fought against. Uh, the world right now has kind of forgotten Afghanistan. Your comments on that? Uh, yes, it has been uh, a year, which, uh, but it seems uh, you know very very long period of time. Especially, I think for for the Afghans who, at least, uh, were hoping for a better life. Uh, there was some sense of optimism before, but with the Taliban coming back, I think uh, uh, you know uh, two things have happened. One, uh, the all the assumptions that I think uh, some of the Western countries had made that this is going to be a new Taliban, that this is going to be some, some, somewhere this is going to be an important inflection point in the way uh, the Taliban look at themselves, look at their ideology, look at their engagement with the world. I think all of those assumptions have not really come to fruition. And this was something that I think countries like India were warning against. And this is exactly what has happened. We have seen no particular uh, interest in the, in the Taliban to change their ways, whether it, 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 it you know, it, it pertains to women's rights, minority rights, uh, or uh, a broader human rights situation in the country, or whether it means changing their ideological makeup, ideological thinking, uh, their support for groups like, uh, you know, um, uh, some of them have been named like uh, uh, Al-Qaeda, for example. We, we saw Al-Zawahiri um, uh, being killed, uh, living right at the heart of Kabul. So. So there have been, uh, uh, you know, episodes over the last year that uh, disabuse, that should disabuse us if there are any, of uh, the notion that this is going to be a new phase in Taliban's evolution. And, and, and I think that is uh, particularly, uh, I think, the dismal aspect of, of, of this rather uh, uh, sorry state of affairs that we are witnessing. Um, but the other side has been that, look, uh, now Taliban are in power and, and there is no, as, and as you were mentioning, there are so many crises in the world that hardly anyone is focusing on Afghanistan. And that is also very unfortunate because at the end of the day, the humanitarian crisis that, that, that Afghanistan is facing is a huge one. And so the onus will be on regional countries to help support uh, the you know, ordinary Afghans in navigating their way through, through this crisis. And which means that 
it, it is inevitable that you have to deal with uh, with Taliban as the governing authority. And I think that's the reason why we have also seen in countries like India that have been very critical of the Taliban now beginning to engage Taliban to see that the aid, that the support that we are sending is actually going to the people uh, that that should be going to. So ultimately, this is also about being uh, a bit pragmatic and seeing that the help that you want to give to ordinary Afghans is reaching them. And also from a geopolitical point of view, I think uh, it's for a country like India, it is important uh, that other countries do not make Afghanistan a playground for their geopolitical ambitions. So you need to be aware of what other countries are doing. Uh, and unfortunately, most countries uh, have seemed to be more interested in gaining geopolitical advantage uh, you know, in the in the uh, in the space that the Taliban have created in Afghanistan, then in doing anything substantial for either uh, helping the the Talib, uh, helping the ordinary Afghans or building capacity in Afghanistan that can lead to a more sustained uh, economic and political project emerging in Afghanistan. So I think largely, as we look back at the last year, uh, the you know the situation is grim. Uh, there is no government to talk off in Afghanistan, and in, increasingly. We saw, for example, very recently, women, despite the threat from the Taliban, uh, they, they came out on the streets, they protested. And I think that speaks to the inherent resilience uh, of, 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 of uh, ordinary Afghans who want to protest, who are now coming out. Uh, and in, in, it's inevitable that at some point the international community will have to take a serious look uh, and see what they can potentially do in Afghanistan. But at the moment, uh, the last one year, uh, you know, have, has gone by without much changing on the ground for ordinary Afghans. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, you know uh, the most important thing at the moment is to ensure that uh, the gains, uh, you know, of of the last several decades, when uh, there was an attempt to build capacity, there was an attempt to build institutions in the country, uh, are uh, you know uh, actually those gains? Some of those gains uh, are maintained. Uh, it's it's a very tough task, but I think at the end of the day, uh, the only way in which Taliban, uh, in, in which Afghanistan can, this project in Afghanistan can work, if there is an, uh, if there is a government in Kabul that that tries to become inclusive, and that becomes more receptive to the demands of various stakeholders, uh, and that is willing to live with the neighborhood in a way that does not impinge on uh, the security of, of its neighbors. And I think those essential questions mean that the, the neighboring countries will have to continue to shape their relationship with the Taliban uh, because, because that's a governing authority in a way that keeps them under check, that, that keeps them, uh, that you know, the, the, the target remains that uh, ultimately the aid, the support that we are, we are giving to, to Afghanistan is contingent on Taliban adhering to certain red lines. And that, I think, is a very difficult task, but I think that is something that we are constantly now being reminded is very important. If you see UN reports, they talk of Taliban's continued engagement with terror and extremist groups. If you see what Americans have done as counter-terror operations in killing al-Zawahiri, we know that there are uh, there are individuals and groups that are operating freely in Afghanistan. That should, that should not be the case. If you look at the economic situation, we know that there is hardly an economic governance to talk about. The political structures are crumbling. Taliban uh, cannot run Afghanistan as an ideological state because Talib uh, Afghanistan is much diverse, much varied, 
uh, and, and the stakeholders are many who would be willing to stand up to Taliban if, if, if uh, you know, if, if uh, the requirements are such. So I think that the, the problems that Taliban that Afghanistan is facing at the moment uh, are, in, are at multiple ends, and and the neighboring countries should be willing to help ordinary Afghans in this in this time of crisis. But at the same time, keeping Taliban on a tight leash uh, because that's that's where you get the delivery from. But I think the challenge at the moment is that in the neighboring countries and, and the global powers, all of them have so many crises to think of. That there are multiple crises that are brewing uh, in the Indo-Pacific, in, in Eurasia, uh, that you know, the, the, the appetite for doing something sub substantive uh, with regard to Afghanistan is whittling down. And I think that's a real challenge and that's a real danger that if you take your eyes off the ball from Afghanistan, then uh, eventually uh, it may come back to haunt you. And that is what seems to be happening. Like you rightly said, there are too many crises around the world that the world powers are dealing with right now. And the focus has kind of shifted from Afghanistan. Uh, uh, another neighbor, uh, Sri Lanka, has been uh, under, you know, reeling under economic crisis. And there are dire situations there. Again, ordinary people on the streets protesting a, a corrupt government that was toppled. But but look at the situation in Sri Lanka. But at that moment, Harsh, we also saw, uh, you know, initially China was nowhere to be seen. But then recently we saw that a Chinese ship was docking at a Sri Lanka port and that raised serious security concerns. Uh, but it has the ship has gone after about six days. But India raised the security concerns and uh, rightly so. Uh, Sri Lanka, but is in a situation where it is seeking a bailout package sooner the better. Uh, at that moment, you know, it's very difficult for Sri Lanka to not really give in to Chinese demands. So uh, the, the pressure on Sri Lanka is increasing and India's concerns, of course, are there. But how can this uh, be balanced out? The, the Chinese vessel, docking the Chinese vessel there was very crucial. China's approval is very crucial for uh, Sri Lanka right now for its bailout too. Yes, indeed. You know, it's, it's very ironic, Nagma, as you point out, that, you know, Sri Lanka was no, uh, China was nowhere to be seen uh, during the large part of the Sri Lankan crisis and people were uh, really distressed. Uh, people needed help. Uh, ordinary Sri Lankans needed help. Uh, and, uh, and China simply... You know, um, uh, slipped away from the radar, and now uh, you know to make uh, a point about its growing strategic uh, prowess at this particular juncture is particularly dis disturbing because it means that all China cares about is, is are its strategic ambitions, even at a time when Sri Lanka is going through a terrible crisis. You know, this is a crisis, uh, once in a lifetime crisis. Uh, uh, one of the most significant in its post-independent history. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, there is, uh, even as we speak, uh, we, 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 there is no light at the end of the tunnel uh, and the dangers are, in fact, growing. And at this particular point in time, to, to have its ship dock there and to make it a point of prestige because Sri Lanka did request China to defer it. Uh, they, they did ask China to reconsider it. Uh, because they, they they realize that this is you know they are becoming uh, you know they are coming in this um, they are the, becoming part of this wider geopolitical game that China is playing in the Indian Ocean region. So so Sri Lankan policymakers are aware of what is happening, but unfortunately their situation is such 
that they need China uh, at the end of the day. They need, and, and China knows that, that you know, they, China may not have helped them at the time of crisis, but China has deep pockets. So as Sri Lanka tries to come out of the economic problems that, that it is facing, China will be a partner and they cannot simply go to China and say, you know, uh, please uh, don't come here. So I think to make this a point of prestige at this point betrays in some ways also Sri Lanka, in Sri Lanka, uh, China's insecurity. And this insecurity comes from the fact, Nagma, that India has been at the forefront of leading, uh, of lending its helping hand to Sri Lanka at a time when, you know, China was nowhere in the picture at a time when very few other actors were uh, were there. India kept Sri Lankan, uh, the, the, the interests of ordinary Sri Lankans at the heart of its policy and engaged Sri Lanka very, very substantively. And there was... There was certainly a, a shift in the mood as far as uh, India is concerned in terms of what India has been able to deliver. If you look at the statements from the policy elites as well as from ordinary Sri Lanka. So I think there was a sense that India has, India was getting its Sri Lanka policy right, that, that uh, India's engagement with Sri Lanka was on robust grounds. And then I think in some ways also unnerved China because the narrative was becoming that, look, China was nowhere to be seen. And India is the country that is coming to the aid of Sri Lanka. And somewhere then to come out of that and to make this a point of prestige, to make this a point of, uh, of you know, to, to have this ship dock in, in Hambantota port uh, at this particular point. Uh, you know, and, and again, Hambantota has a certain history. Hambantota is, has a certain, uh, you know, resonance in Sri Lanka. It, it was a major project of Rajapaksha's, Mahinda Rajapaksha's. It was a major port project that has not yielded any dividends. It had become a white elephant and they, therefore Sri Lanka had to lease it uh, to, to China for, on, on a 99, they had to give it to China on a 99 year lease. So there is a, there is a history there. And I think that uh, betrays a sense of uh, nervousness in China about what is happening uh, in, in, in Sri Lanka, how they are being perceived. Uh, and I think how India is being received in Sri Lanka. So yes. while in, in the short term, it may seem that, look, China may have uh, gotten its way. It's a big uh, uh, challenge to India, which it is. I think what, what China is demonstrating is that its footprint in the Indian Ocean region is expanding. But I think it, it it's also about China's own sense of nervousness about what is happening in Sri Lanka and how what has happened in Sri Lanka in the last few years will impact the image of China in Sri Lanka. But China has also rattled with uh, India's statement over Taiwan, though India has not changed its stand on the one China uh, policy as far as Taiwan is concerned. But India, after years of rest restraint, has actually um, publicly articulated its concerns about uh, the Chinese unilateralism. And that also seems to be seems to have rattled China. Uh, but uh, how do you see that affecting the India-China? I mean, China's stand on Jammu Kashmir, China's stand on, on many other issues where India is concerned. Now, India voicing its concerns publicly over Taiwan. Uh, how do you think it's going to affect uh, their equation? I think India's statement was long overdue. Uh, and, and I think it, it doesn't change much as far as China is concerned because China, in any case, does not follow one in, one India policy. So uh, if uh, so, I think what India is reminding China is that look, while uh, technically uh, India considers uh, one China as part of its broader policy framework, but there is uh, there is no guarantee that India will continue with it because there are questions around China's own policy towards India. After all, uh, foreign policy is about reciprocity, 
you know, it, it's it's not a one-way street. So unless China is willing to uh, consider Indian interests, China is willing to be sensitive to Indian security interests uh, and to Indian sensitivities on the border. Unless China is willing to be uh, willing to move forward to solve some of the fundamental problems uh, that. Uh, a challenge China Sino-Indian relationship. I don't think India has any incentive to reiterate its one-China policy, as China seems to be demanding now uh, for, from many other countries. And many other countries have reiterated one-China policy. But let's remember that India has not reiterated one-China policy for 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 almost more than a decade now, because India's concern has been that uh, you know China is not following the recipro reciprocity. Uh, in this matter, so unless China also acknowledges one, uh, you know that there, you know that the concerns about uh, what is happening in Jammu and Kashmir or in Arunachal or in Sikkim, which China continues to rake up time and time again, unless China, you know, makes a change in that posture, uh, I think India will continue to make make this a point and, and to to come out and say that look, uh, China unilaterally changing status quo through the use of force is a problem. Uh, that had to be reiterated because that's a problem not that Taiwan is facing, but that's a problem that India is also facing. And that's a problem, <coughs> excuse me, that's a problem that Southeast Asian countries are also facing. Yes. So you so, so there is a broader narrative here about China's assertiveness, China's aggression, and that I think India and uh, and, and other countries should be willing to highlight. And, and I think uh, India has done, um, in the case of Taiwan, this statement uh, has come at the right time to remind China that uh, India will also, uh, you know, take up these issues, um, given the kind of relation, given the the stasis in the relationship that India-China is facing, and we know that Dr. Jay Shankar is talking explicitly about the problems uh, that that they are facing, and the, and how this is perhaps one of the worst phases in in Sino-Indian relationship. Absolutely. So after maintaining years of restraint there, India has, like you said, it was uh, long overdue. India has articulated its concern over the development in the Taiwan Strait too. And Dr. Jayshankar is also on a three-day visit. Before we wrap up this episode of the Ideas Factory, Harsh, the significance of that visit, these countries, uh, this visit, he's, he's going to Brazil, Paraguay and Argentina. And there's a lot to tap there in terms of uh, trade and investment. There's a lot uh, to tap there, certainly. And I think Latin America is something that we always consider very far and, uh, you know, um, in terms of our foreign policy engagement. Um, but uh, I think in this day and age, uh, Latin America should be a priority. Uh, and this is uh, Dr. Jayshankar's first visit to South America. Uh, and, and, and I think Paraguay, where he is going, uh, this India is opening an embassy there for the first time. So that's also a welcome move. Uh, to have greater presence, greater footprint in uh, diplomatic footprint in, in in Latin America is is most welcome. It's 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 a region uh, that remains dominated, uh, you know, uh, primarily um, by the U.S. But we have seen in recent years how China has made made its moves there. Uh, and what is also interesting is how Brazil um, and India's position on uh, the on Russia on buying oil from Russia are also very identical. Uh, so, uh, you know, just like India is, wants uh, good deals for Indian citizens, um, Brazil, Brazil's president has also said very similar things that they would continue to buy oil from Russia despite Western pressure because uh, they would like to do what's best for their, for, the, for, for the countrymen and women. So I think there is, there, there is that convergence in terms of the broader worldview that you don't want to be part of this larger uh, global, uh, 
these two camps that are emerging in global politics and how can middle powers like india brazil and argentina frame their responses is going to be an important conversation sure. and just as an aside uh, argentina uh, uh, is very interested in joining brics for example so i think it would be an interesting conversation to have as to uh, you know what role india sees for argentina in brics and of course uh, what role brazil sees for argentina in brics uh, so i think uh, things are you know being shaped by the larger geopolitical forces uh, and india given its emphasis on trade and technology cooperation with other countries would certainly find that latin america is a, is a territory that needs to be explored more and engaged with more absolutely so that's what this visit is aiming at to explore latin america a lot more in terms of engagements in terms of trade and investment thank you so much for that analysis harsh and thank you all for watching that's it from us on this episode of the igs factory